Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I do not spend my time focusing on New York. You guys know this already. Midwest guy, Midwest focus. Life does not begin and end in New York City. I'm a guy born in Brooklyn, grew up in Jersey. I can share with you clearly there is life outside that apartment, uh, to paraphrase Avenue Q. And when Fox is doing stories about, oh, look at the terrible snow in New York, we get terrible snow throughout the Midwest all the time. New York doesn't seem to care. Fox doesn't worry about whether or not we're getting snow. Why are you telling me about yours? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. But when you see migrants, illegal immigrants, fighting with police officer on Randall's Island, we're talking about New York, where the migrants have gone because they were sent there by Governor Greg Abbott, appropriately, by the way, because this is not a Texas issue. This is an American issue when it comes to immigration and illegal immigration. Well, they're fighting with cops. And this comes days after we learned that New York has a dance team. The NYPD dance team made up of rather overweight women, it looks like, which makes one wonder, wait a second, are these actual police officers? Did they pass a level of fitness test to become police officers? This isn't about whether women can be cops, people. Settle down. This is about why in the world does the NYPD have a dance team? What exactly is going on here and how emblematic is this issue with the New York City police and the issues that are being presented to them of police stations all across the country? Rob O'Donnell joins me right now, began his career as a New York City transit officer, has worked throughout uh, the police departments of NYPD, including being a detective where he worked for the Departments of Organized Crime Control and Precinct Detective Squads, now a radio host in Pennsylvania, WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM. And, and you had posted, Rob, the, uh, the, the, the NYPD dance troupe. Uh, and uh, there, there they are, the dance team, they're dancing. And you wrote, the NYPD was once a legendary, proud, and storied force. Today, not so much. Why do they have a dance team? Uh, I wish I could answer that for you. Uh, I wish uh, anyone who, who used to be a New York City uh, police officer or connected with that department in, in, the, in the past could answer that. We, there's really no, no clue. That's, that's not a good enough answer. They have a dance team, man. It, we, we, we live in a world where we're seeing cops abused every single day. We're not discussing the idea that there might not be a bad cop. We're not discussing the idea of keeping an eye on police departments. We're discussing how cops get abused all the time. They are, they are uh, attacked, vilified. We're seeing them physically attacked in places like we saw in Minnesota and, and other things. What's the purpose of a dance team? Has anybody who you're still uh, in contact with on the force gotten back to you on this? No, this Mayor Adams regime that's taken over the NYPD promoting detectives who were nothing more than chauffeurs to be deputy commissioners is, is really turned this, this agency again. And I, and I was very adamant about it, a storied, legendary agency across the nation that led law enforcement in reducing crime in the 90s to uh, a circus sideshow. 
I mean, my only belief is, you know, some deputy commissioner, some chief somewhere has a daughter or a girlfriend that needed a position and liked dance. And here we have a dance team. And they sold it as something for PR to attract people to the NYPD because of their lack of recruiting because of how they destroyed the department over the years. The, the whole idea of recruiting, certainly we see this in the military, but recruiting for police departments, would uh, I would only make the assumption a, a different um, game altogether. When people join a police force, it's because they, you know, you would hope that they have a desire to to serve, to, to protect where they live, that it matters to them, and, and they want to be a part of that. How demoralized... And maybe I've got it wrong. They're not demoralized. I'm asking how demoralized are police departments thinking that from what I see, how could they not be? Well, law enforcement, you, you hit the nail on the head, Tony. Law enforcement was a calling. Somebody wanted to make a difference in their community. Someone wanted a stable profession. Someone wanted to do good in this world. And they're not allowing law enforcement to do those things. It's no longer a stable profession. Uh, profession. You are walking around with a target on your back, not from the criminals out there, but from your old administration, these mayors who throw officers under the bus, these city administrators who throw officers under the bus, instead of waiting for facts and evidence, they base their decisions on feelings and what the masses decide. And that's not how you do law enforcement. So it's no longer that stable profession. So People are turning away from it. It used to be um, generational look going into law enforcement, sort of like our military as well, where you have fathers and grandfathers telling their sons and daughters, don't, you don't want to do this, do something else. Talking to Rob O'Donnell, radio host, WILK Radio, uh, News Radio 103.1 FM out of Pennsylvania, uh, formerly with the NYPD, uh, including as a detective, the the dance squad is is one thing one could if you really wanted to work at it almost excuse the idea but one cannot excuse that here is randall island here is a place where they're putting these migrants illegal immigrants etc those who have come across the border and the governor of texas greg abbott has sent to new york sent to chicago sent to san francisco sent to all these places and they are getting into fights with the NYPD, and as you watch this arrest take place, this video that's out there, you can find it. Uh, I'll have it up at TonyCats.com. Half of the officers that are there are trying to do their job, and half of the officers there don't look like they actually know what they're doing. When you see that video from Randall Island that, that came out, I think it came out today, what does it look like to you? It's utter chaos. You've tied the hands of law enforcement. You've lacked the training in law enforcement to where they have the tools to do the job properly. And, and make no mistake here, we've, we've imported illegal migrants from around the world under the guise of asylum, 80% of which will not qualify here. And you've put them in these mass centers like Randall's Island from countries like China, uh, Brazil, uh, Venezuela. Now, these the countries they're coming from Look at the history there. When, when the masses don't get what they want, they riot. They rise up against the government. They overthrow the government. There's coups left and right. Uh, how do we think that's not going to be any different here? So, of course, when the authority comes in, in this, in this case, the NYPD, and tries to intervene, there's that assault. There's that revolt. And this is just going to grow 
larger and larger as we see this because it's the normal in the countries they've come from. They've just brought that here. So you're engaged in a conversation about cultural differences leading to a fighting, animosity, uh, etc. I'm discussing that you take a look at these officers trying to subdue this guy. They don't, starting with just that, they don't seem to know what they're doing. Now, you can say to me, Tony, they're following a procedure. I, outsider looking in, I'm watching one woman, a, a police officer, kind of just stand and walk around in a circle. I'm watching two guys trying to subdue this suspect, not four or five guys. I don't see anybody, after watching this guy resist, engage a taser or any other utilization of force to try and subdue him. Am I wrong in my observation? No, you're 100% correct. They've, they've, they've embedded in these officers to be on the defense rather than, than take control of a situation, to use the tools necessary for them. But every time in the past, let's say, 10 years, officers have used those tools by striking someone with their baton, by tasering someone, and God forbid they fall down and hit their head and split their head open. Even though it was justified, these officers are immediately demonized so they'd rather, they, they've instilled in these officers, we'd rather you just take the beating and walk away and we could pick up the pieces later than actually controlling the situation, which will, at that instance and in the future, send a message that this type of behavior will not be tolerated. Not only are you endangering the officers by doing this, you're endangering the suspects that were there, you're endangering the bystanders that were there. And the, the citizens in the future that will have to deal with these individuals where they think it's a free-for-all against our law enforcement. Talking to Rob O'Donnell, a former NYPD detective and host of the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK 103.1 FM News Radio out of Pennsylvania. We look at this as, as, as Americans, and we don't take a look at this just, just in, its, in a in one lens, in one frame, in one view, and say, oh my gosh, New York, well, it's gone downhill. Because we could say, oh, New York, my gosh, it's gone downhill. We now take this and we apply this to our local police stations and what it is we're seeing in cities large and small. And we take a look at this uh, illegal immigration issue and this asylum issue. Of course, all the vast majority of these asylum claims are lies and they're taught to lie at the border by the NGOs and non-governmental organizations and others. We see these issues and we question how our police department can handle it or how our police department is handling this. What we're seeing out of New York is only a piece of the larger puzzle. It isn't isolated just to New York. No, it's nationwide. We've seen it all over the place. Uh, look at look at Baltimore years ago during the Freddie Gray incident where they were told to stand down and they would get it out of their system. Look at what happened up in, in Minnesota and the issues up there. Look at the Border Patrol Mounted Unit where they were doing their job and, and were were dragged through, literally dragged through the mud by up until our president as whipping migrants when it was totally fa uh, made up fabrication. I mean, you still have members of Congress that are honoring the hands up, don't shoot anniversary each and every year after it's been proven time and time again that it never happened. This is the, all led up to what we're seeing now in these cities where police officers are not going hands on. They're not taking control of the situation. Uh, and I'm not talking about being abusive. I'm not talking about uh, going after people unnecessarily. I'm talking about taking control of a situation. The tools are there, and they've taken them away piece by piece against our nation's law enforcement. 
So how do how do police departments respond? What is it that they are saying in cities large and small? And have you come across any cities that are responsive to the argument? There are some uh, sheriff's office, elected sheriffs are actually better at it than your appointed police chiefs and your appointed police commissioners and administrators. They obviously have their job because they follow the same kind of mindset as the mayor that hired them. So politics plays a a lot more involved in their decision making and not backing. I think you're starting to see glimpses of it nationwide where communities are sick and tired of lawlessness and saying, hey, we need help. But like I said, when the defund the police started years ago, for every one year you're defunding the police and defunding the police is not necessarily monetarily defending defunding the police is not supporting them, not giving them the tools they need, not giving them the training they need, causing a mass exodus of your most experienced and trained officers. For every one year you're doing that, you're talking three to four years to rebuild that because you have to recruit, you have to train, you have to get them back on the street and and, and uh, interacting with the community. And we've seen years and years of this mentality of not not only defunding the police, but not defending the police. So now those years build up. You're, you're looking at eight, nine years before you can get a grasp on this again. You watch the numbers of, uh, you watch the recruitment numbers. You watch the people that are joining uh, the, the, the force. And I think I could say without having every bit of data in front of me, that less and less people are joining the force. Is there a, a mission critical number or, or maybe said better, is there a breaking point number that if the recruitment is an X, then the force simply cannot work at all? I think in some places we're already there, isn't it? Didn't Louisiana just declare a state of emergency because of lack of police recruitment? Uh, we're starting to see it. Uh, agencies, including the NYPD, are close to their breaking point. You know, if you have a mass incident in these situations, you do not have the, the, the staffing, you do not have the trained staffing to, to respond to that. And that's why we're seeing these, these responses like you just described at this incident where it was just a handful of migrants and a handful of officers, and those officers could not control the situation. That wouldn't have been the case 15, 20 years ago. And no end in sight. Rob O'Donnell, you find uh, his uh, work over there on WILK 103.1 FM out of Pennsylvania, the Rob O'Donnell Show, 3 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Rob, I appreciate you taking the time. I've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. So the Joe Biden administration vetoed a Security Council push from the UN for a ceasefire in Gaza. Yet they remain committed to some level of ceasefire in Gaza. It's very strange stuff. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find it all. TonyKatz.com. The uh, UN ambassador is Linda Thomas-Greenfield and stated, uh, here is the quote as uh, reference reported by Barron's, Proceeding with a vote today was wishful and irresponsible. We cannot support a resolution that would put sensitive negotiations in jeopardy. Now, I find that to be an an amazing statement because Biden himself has worked towards trying to, wait, what was the exact uh, terminology? Put sensitive negotiations in jeopardy. 
He is the man who said that Israel's reaction and Israel's response in Gaza is over the top. Who exactly is the person putting things in jeopardy here? This is clear and obvious. Now, the reporting was was that Biden is going to go to the Security Council to try and force a temporary ceasefire. This was the reporting that, yes, you had what, what took place in the U.N. saying no to that, but push for something else. Calling on Israel not to go into Rafah in the Gaza Strip. It's always important in these kinds of situations to look at a map. Maps tell you much. So if you were to do a map of Gaza, right, and just search for it, what you will see in this small strip is uh, uh, in in the northern part, you'll see uh, Jabalia, and it'll say Gaza. And so that is the area where Israelis first came in. That's where they first came in, rooting out Hamas terrorists. And you understand why. Hamas, a terrorist organization, attacked Israel, murdered 1,300, raped women, set babies on fire, and then kidnapped women and the elderly. Never mind IDF soldiers. They have been held for well over 100 days, and Hamas will not give them up. And there is no pressure from the leftists to give them up. There's only pressure on Israel to stop attacking Hamas and, of course, accept their fate and just die already. That, that, well, I'm sorry. Was that too on the nose? Okay, good. So that's where the fighting began. And Israel has really cleared out this area, and certainly there's been destruction. You head on down south, or really to the, I guess you could call it the, could you call it the west? Uh, and, and you get to a place called Khan Yunis, Y-U-N-I-S. And that's where the fighting has been now. And you've heard about, you know, uh, dressing up as doctors and getting into hospitals to be able to, to get the terrorists while not hurting any of the, of the patients there. All that has happened. And at the very, very bottom of Gaza, you have Rafa. And on the other side of Rafa and the Rafa Gate is the Sinai Peninsula. On the other side of the Sinai Peninsula, which is not uh, small, is Egypt. The Egyptians do not want a million or so quote-unquote Palestinians making the trek through the Rafa Gate to Egypt saying, let us in. They don't want any part of this at all. They have gone so far as to build walls to keep people in Rafa. It is Rafa where the IDF has stated they are going to be making uh, their, their next hits. They are, airstrikes have already been, been launched. They are going in. They actually rescued from the area uh, two hostages. That happened, uh, I think it was during the Super Bowl. How dare the Israelis endanger so many civilians? You mean how dare they try and get their people back? You understand how this is working. The pressure is on Israel not to engage. So the White House says no to one resolution, but seems to be wanting to push another one. This is what we're watching for. Of course, I support Israel getting back its people, and I support the full destruction of Hamas, because we'll all be better off if Hamas was destroyed. The leftists, they want Israel destroyed. It's a difference of opinion. Well, it's more than that, but we'll just start it there. 
This is Tony Katz today. taking a, a moment to get to something I needed to get to. Uh, it's not that it's the biggest news story in America. It's that I was so fascinated by this statement from Fonnie Willis's father in how absolutely ridiculous it was that he thinks that this was a black thing. And oh, I, I already know, Tony, you can't be talking about this. I can talk about anything I damn well choose. That's the beauty of having the microphone. Uh, My suggestion is immediately go get a radio show. Go get one as soon as you can or or a podcast or or whatever else. And then have conversations you think are important. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. That's me. That's the show. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This, of course, is Fonnie Willis's father, district attorney, Fulton County, the one who quite clearly, clearly hired her lover, to be the prosecutor against Donald Trump, absolutely, in in my view, was arranged in some kind of getting a kickback. I, I don't think it's a you know, question. He, the lover, was buying vacations. First, he was getting paid more than anybody else, more than any other prosecutor would. Then he was taking her on vacation and she was paying him back in cash. Feel the air quotes. She was paying him back in cash. I No, I don't believe it. I think that's a flat-out lie. If she could provide receipts, God bless. But then it got into this whole conversation about having cash. You got to have cash. I did not mind this conversation at all because I thought this conversation was actually extremely important. Cash matters. Of course Cash matters. Of course, you keep cash. I don't know why anybody would think that 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 you wouldn't. And she was on the stand, and she was talking about her father saying, "You know, you always got to have a a, a little bit of uh, of of cash on you." You direct deposit, I assume. Yes, Fulton County and the uh, state of Georgia both pay me direct deposits. Okay, so the cash that you would pay him, you wouldn't get it out of the bank? I have money in my house. You have money in your house, so it was just money that was there. When you meet my father, he's going to tell you as a woman, you should always have, which I don't have, so let's don't tell him that. You should have at least six months in cash at your house at all times. Now, I don't know why this old black man feels like that. But he does. When we were growing up, my daddy had three safes in the house. So my father's bought me a lockbox, and I always keep cash in the house. Now, I don't do it to the degree that my father would do it, so he would probably be uh, ashamed with me. But I always have cash at the house. That has been, I don't know, all my life. If you're a woman and you go on a date with a man, you better have $200 in your pocket. So if that man acts up, you can go where you want to go. That is Good advice. Now, foreshadowing, I've heard this advice before. But you notice how she says, I don't know why this old black man, meaning her father, got this idea in his head. But he takes the stand, his name is John Floyd, and he relays the story. 
Good morning. Good morning, Counsel. When your daughter moved or left the house that she owned, did did she say anything to you about having a large uh, savings of cash? Oh no, she. Oh no. See, maybe excuse me, and I, Your Honor, I'm not trying to be racist, okay? But it's a black thing, okay? You know, I was trained. And most black folks, they hide cash or they keep cash. And uh, I was, no, I train, you always keep some cash because uh, I've been places, and just because of the color of my skin, for example, I took a fellowship at Harvard when my daughter was just, uh, uh, if I might, Your Honor, if I might, when I was just, uh, she was just, you know. Yes, it's a whole story about how racism exists in, in the United States or existed because you're talking about something that happened years ago. If you think this is a black thing, if you're black, I'm telling you, you're nuts. My father, who is not black, has been having this conversation with me since I'm a child. You carry cash, you have cash. And it isn't because it's a black thing. They may not accept your credit card. They may not accept your travel check. All the things that John Floyd there got into. You carry cash. You have cash because what makes you think you can trust a system that runs on credit cards? What happens when it all hits the fan? What happens when there's a problem with the banks? What happens when your credit card doesn't work? What happens when normal things go wrong because in any society, normal things go wrong? I teach my children every day about a backup. What happens when things go wrong? Why do you believe everything's going to work? The other day, my oldest was driving, I I, I forget where, but it's their first real winter driving. They didn't plan ahead. No scraper to get the ice off of the windshield. No starting the car to try and get some things warmed up. Of course they were late. Lesson learned. You assumed that, okay, I'm ready to go. The car will be there and everything will be perfect. How many times do you think you have to forget something before you put it in your car the day before you go somewhere? How many times? 12? Three times? Just once? For me, just once. Just once. How many times do you have to forget something in your luggage when you're going on a trip before you create a checklist for yourself? 150 times, 82 times, once, just once, me, just once. You're going to rely on, on, on your memory to get everything done? No, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Your memory will let you down. If your memory will let you down, what makes you think the bank won't let you down? Some run on the banks, some unexpected closure, some technical snafu, and they can't access your dollars? What's your plan? For a lot of people right now, this is the first time they've ever asked themselves, hey, what is my plan? Cash in the house is standard operating procedure. 
It is not. I repeat, it is not a black thing. That is bullcrap. Now, that is not to say that a black person might not do that. And so there's clarity. A black person might have different reasons, cultural, historical, what have you, for doing so. But there is nothing specifically racial about keeping cash. You have heard me rail on this subject. I do not understand the people who do not keep cash on them. And yes, I look at men who don't carry cash askew. I look at them and say, I don't get what's happening here. I look at men who don't carry cash and I say, oh, that is not so much a man. Just so you know, you might be my friend. I'm letting you know that's how I view it. I, and, and I love you. I love you, kitten. But in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, oh. And then uh, me trying to convince my children, you don't carry cash in your wallet. That's no, 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 no. You carry cash in your front pocket. Well, I carry the wallet in my front pocket. I don't know. Maybe I'm letting on too much about my kids. But I'm just sharing that these are the conversations we have. Cash is about preparedness. Cash is about mentality. It is. Carrying cash is about a mentality. It is about being prepared. It is about recognizing that when the moment comes, you can handle yourself. Never mind the fact that I look at people who pay for everything with a credit card as a little beta. I do, I do, I do. And don't get me wrong, there are times where I pay for things with a credit card and I'm like, this is just so, it was $4. What am I, what am I, this is embarrassing. This is just wrong. Shame on me. Oh, I do, oh. Oh, and then I, then I just feel dirty for the rest of the day. I thought it was important, this, this, this testimony. Because the testimony does not change the idea that it is clear to me, outsider looking in, that Phony Willis was getting vacations from her lover as a kickback for the gig. That just seems obvious as the day is long. And if you ask me whether I think Phony Willis is on the up and up, I do not at all. But the people who think it's weird that she has cash, I don't I don't I don't get those people at all. I do not get those people in the slightest. Having cash is amongst the most normal things you can do. It's the people who don't have cash and don't carry cash. Those are the people who are weird. Those are the people in, in my view who who lack a they they lack a strength, they lack a vigor. They lack a recognition that the world is happening around them. Fonnie Willis's argument, when you go on a date, you better have $200 in your pocket in case he acts up. Now, I never looked at it that way because I didn't have to look at it from that perspective. I looked at it from a different perspective. You better have a couple bucks in your pocket in case you want to buy a girl a drink, in case you need a cab to get home in the days before Uber. So you can handle whatever comes your way, no matter what. 
So not only, well, you know, in, 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 in the purview of, of my father, was it about being able to uh, meet a girl and see what happens? My father was very one-track minded. Uh, it, it, it was about safety. It was always about safety. My logic, Fonnie Willis's logic, her father's logic for her, my logic for my children, it's not different. And I think that it, it, it might strike people as, as weird and people who want to be wholly political will completely brush by that, that part and, 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 and that piece, right? Oh, just ridiculous. Not ridiculous. Not ridiculous. Carry cash at all times. Have cash in the house. Gold, silver, all those kinds of things. Sure. To what extent, how much? Well, really, that depends on your economic situation. Really depends on, on you. It, de- it depends on you. But it's not weird. It's not weird. It's only weird that he would say it's a black thing. No, it ain't. It just isn't. You know, it, it, it's, it's like this idea that everything has to be racial all the time, everywhere. And no matter where you turn, race, 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 race. Always racial. It doesn't have to be that way. Not at all and not in any way. I had a story uh, 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 about that. Did you know that in California, they tried to put together something called an ebony alert? And you're like, what in the world is an ebony alert? Well, you know what an amber alert is? Right, Amber Alerts and an Amber Alert system locates missing children. California tried to create an Ebony Alert system, which prioritizes recovering missing black children who, for whatever reason, do not qualify for an Amber Alert. So, for example, if a child is a runaway, that child does not qualify, not eligible for an Amber Alert. Ebony Alert. Now, of course, the argument is quite clearly that this is unconstitutional. It violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. It's a great write-up over at LegalInsurrection.com. There has to be an ebony alert. And if there's an ebony alert, um, what about uh, everybody else? What about all the other uh, uh, denominations and, and ethnicities? And, and, and do, they, do they get an alert? No, the bigotry in this idea is so great and punches you in the face with such incredible force. One has to wonder how somebody could think of this and then not go, no, wait, that's a terrible idea. It is remarkable that they they go about these ideas and they're like, you know what, this is good, this is smart, we're doing a good thing here. You're not, you are fully engrossed and engaged in the bigotry because it's race, 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 race all the time, 24-7, 365, race, 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 everywhere, everywhere you turn, everything you do, race, 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 race. My God, who the hell wants to live like that? Not me. Not me. So Fonnie Wills' father, I think, Gave her some good advice in this. Now, there's probably a hundred things he didn't. Uh, the former Black Panther that he is, uh, I'm willing to bet there was some bad advice a- along the way. But having cash, having cash is good advice and is advice I would give to you as I give it to my own children. Hiring your lover and then getting kickbacks through vacations that he pays for on a business credit card while you allegedly give cash payments. Yeah, don't do that. Don't. Let 
Don't do. Stay away from that. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. I will give you the state of the race, Nikki Haley. You cannot win South Carolina. There is no data that says it is possible. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Nikki Haley with her state of of, of the race and, and making her push and making her claims and making her argument. The argument is that there's no poll that shows you in less than 20 points of Donald Trump in South Carolina. You have a primary this Saturday, and you're not going to come within single digits. That's the ball game. Yes, plenty of polls show you beating Biden head to head. Yes, if we wanted to discuss how or what would be the easier lift in a general election, you have a strong argument to make. I also believe DeSantis had a strong argument to make. Then again, I've been saying from the beginning, we could have had DeSantis. Trump is the toughest sell in a general election. But to get to a general, you have to win in a primary. And the numbers don't show it. Do last-minute statements and speeches and maneuvering, does it move people? I can't see it. Everything is possible, but that doesn't mean it's probable. But the primary will be in a few days, and we will watch it happen. Find everything at TonyCats.com. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.